CFL fans, are you ready? Because it's time for the Canadian Football Countdown on Mike FM Winnipeg. Canadian Football Countdown starts now! Hello, hello, and welcome to the Canadian Football Countdown. As always, I'm Ryan Cooper alongside Michael Garrell. We are back for another episode of the podcast here, previewing week two in the CFL. The first week has come and gone. Uh, if you haven't already done so, go back on all of our podcast feeds and check out our week one recap episode. That came out Tuesday night. And now we're here talking week two and what's to come there. We will be joined in the second half of this show by the great Quiffy D, author of the Alternative blog and one of the hosts of the Alouettes Flight Deck podcast to preview the Bombers versus Alouettes matchup. But in the meantime here, Michael Garrell is with me. Mike, let's talk week two in the CFL. Yeah, it's a very interesting uh, uh, week one in the books. And I'm looking forward to week two. Yeah, because now we... We, we got a bit of a glimpse, right, into what these teams were, how much stock you put into what you saw in week one is the question. Now we get into week two in the CFL, and that kicks off Thursday night uh, with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders in Ottawa. This is one of those interesting ones because this is a team that, one of these teams we don't know anything about yet because they didn't play in week one, and that's the Ottawa Red Blacks, Mike. What are you looking at as the storylines in this game? Well, obviously, I think the first thing that comes to mind is it's a rematch of the Eastern semifinal, uh, which Saskatchewan won. So, you know, interesting that Ottawa had the first round by and then ends up playing the team that uh, what, that ends up uh, beating them in the uh, in the playoffs. And again, like you said, there's nothing uh, out there material-wise for Ottawa because they have a first, the dreaded first week by, and, you know, there's no way around that in the 19 lead, but also we saw really good, uh, real, real good things from Saskatchewan uh, defensively, and uh, Talaros played, I thought, one of his better games uh, of the season. Yeah, and these are, these are two teams that played two very close games last year. I think both games in the regular season were separated by one point. I know you had that one game where... Uh, I think Saskatchewan made the comeback on the Christian Jones punt return. They were down something like 16 nothing, go on to win 17-16. Yeah, and then yet another one, uh, I believe Ryan Lindley's first start when Trevor Harris was down. That yeah. might have been the same game. I don't remember entirely. But, no, this is an interesting matchup. I, I was impressed with what Saskatchewan did in Week 1. Um, their defense played a really strong game against Ricky Ray and James Wilder and the Argos. You know, it was almost a situation where I think Toronto found something in Saskatchewan defense a little bit too late. And I'm wondering, you know, the in-game adjustments from one week to the next, if, you know, Ottawa can kind of start to pitch something up early on. Uh, if you want to talk about, you know, who really stood out for the Riders in that game, it was uh, Charleston Hughes on the defensive line. That defensive line in general, right? You got Willie Jefferson, you got Charleston Hughes. That defense as a whole really stepped up against the Argos, and I'm interested to see how the Red Blacks navigate that. I, I didn't think James Wilder for the Argos got too involved in the running game, at least. They threw the ball to him a couple times. Look for a guy like William Powell. I think they're going to give him the ball 
quite a bit to try to exploit the run game if they can. I, I think the result of um, Saskatchewan's pressure was a direct result of Wilder not being successful. You know, that, that D-line was a force, and, you know, that D-line comes crashing in on that offensive line, and all the holes are gone, and, and therefore no running room. Yeah, and, and offensively, I think we saw Zach Calero step up. What did you make of the kind of dual-back system with uh, Jerome Messam and Trey Mason, I believe, was his name, right? Yeah, Trey Mason, former uh, Alabama, Auburn Tiger. He put for Auburn or Alabama, somewhere in the SEC. I can't remember at this point. Um, but, you know, in general, you know, just speaking about it, I, I didn't get something, but if you, if you can work it into the ratio... Will be something that'll work uh, very, very well. Um, you know, as far as spelling one another off, and maybe that's the way to get you know an older Jerome Messam to be more uh, have a higher productive value on the ground. Quickly, what uh, what are you expecting to see from Ottawa in this game? Yeah, you know, I, I really don't know because I I don't know um, what we can take from our preseason and obviously the week one. I mean, the big thing is, how does Trevor Harris react from getting hit in the preseason? I believe that was a preseason opener. Yeah. Uh, so he's had two weeks, two and a bit weeks to rest that injury. How does that come against that team? But I think it's going to be one of the best defenses in the CFL. And I, and I would have suggested that before we saw what they had in week number one. Um, the other thing for me is, a defense that's coached by Noel Thorpe always is a good defense. So, you know, you know what you get from Noel Thorpe. You know the way his teams play. And I think a lot of teams, whether it's offense and defense, are a product of their coordinator. Looking at guys uh, to watch for in the fantasy game this week for the Riders and the Red Blacks, I would say uh, for the Riders' side of things, you know, Zach Coral spread the ball around so many different receivers. It's hard to tell who's going to get the bulk of the load. You know, guys like Roosevelt and Jerron Carter and Caleb Hawley are going to get the ball a lot. But until we figure out who Coral's number one target there in Saskatchewan, honestly, the the guy slash guys I'm looking most forward to fantasy wise for the Riders is the defense because you got to pick a defense or maybe you don't pick a defense. I've seen that strategy used before too. But I mean that that defense. You know, Charleston Hughes, Willie Jefferson, that whole defensive line, they're going to get to the quarterback, and that uh, secondary, that backfield is going to force turnovers. You know, it's a very interesting interesting thing too, right? Because, I mean, you, you talk about, you know, pressure, 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 pressure. You, your defense is a productivity of what you, uh, of what you call. That was so true for Saskatchewan, and I'm wondering exactly how Ottawa and the counter off that. And as for Ottawa's side of things, I mean, Deontay Spencer basically carried the team in that Eastern semifinal last year. Granted, they did lose that game. Looking for an explosive year from him. If you're looking for a value play, I'm going Dominic Grimes, wide receiver for the Ottawa Red Blacks. He had 10 catches over 100 yards in that second preseason game. He'll have a larger role in the offense this year. A really strong game I'm looking for from him. One guy that surprised me on the corner for Saskatchewan with the guy that ran back that pitch sits. Um, Marshall. Marshall. Anyway, Nick Marshall. He's a former quarterback change defensive uh, back. So he, 
really, really well uh, for, for him and, and Saskatchewan as a whole. Now the key is to put one effort on top of another for Saskatchewan. So, Mike, who takes this one, Saskatchewan or Ottawa? On the road. I like what I saw versus the proven unknown. I expect Saskatchewan defense to be much better than they were in week number one, and that is possible. They were great. With Ottawa, I don't know what they did offensively. I know the defense will try to keep them in it. At the end of the day, all things considered, I still think Saskatchewan's able to win 31-27. 31-27. Yeah, I'll take the hot hand in the Riders in this game because I haven't seen regular season play from the Red Blacks this year. Uh, on our season preview show, I did say the Riders were going to finish last in the West Division. I did not expect them to beat the Argos in our Week 1 preview, and they surprised me there, so I'm going to stick with the Argos, and the, or the the team that beat the Argos, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. And for me, too, is I want to see if Zach Kalaros can put two consecutive good efforts together, something we haven't seen from Kalaros uh, in some time. Certainly, yes. Moving on to the next game, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and the Montreal Alouettes. We'll talk more about this one, obviously, in the second half of this show with Cliffy D of the Alouettes Flight Deck podcast. But, Mike, your storylines you're watching between the Alouettes and the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Start simple. simple. Uh, Chris Traveler again. Uh, I want to see progression. I want to see he leads the CFL, oddly enough, in touchdown passes. <laughs> uh, the two interceptions is a little misleading. One of them was on a two-point convert. No, that one didn't count. There were two other interceptions he threw. I don't think an interception on a two-point convert counts. Um, but one of them, regardless, the first one he threw was to J.C. Sherritt, which was a heck of a diving catch by well, Sherritt. Well, again, that. it's some of those, like, how do you... Like, I understand he tried to throw the ball there, but at points, it's... you got to tip your hand to the defender for making a heck of a play. Biggest storyline in this game, hands down, has to be what the Bombers did to the Montreal Alouettes last year. This was a team, you know, I rewatched this game last week, and I still tear up every time I watch the end of it. That week six matchup between the Bombers and the Alouettes, dubbed the miracle at Investors Group Field. I don't know if others call it that, but I certainly do. Uh, the Bombers coming back, uh, minute 35 left, score 13 points to go on and come back and beat the Montreal Alouettes in that one. They had another game later in the year as well, a couple weeks later, that ended up going to overtime. That was another wild game. So oddly enough, despite Montreal's struggles last year, they played the Bombers very close in the two games they played each other. Uh, I'm interested to see if we see more of the same this week. And from the Alouette's standpoint, I mean, all eyes will continue to be on Drew Willie. That's the safest thing to say here, right? In that, Yeah, for, for Drew Willie against BC, and, and we'll, we'll talk about this, for me, it was a matter of Drew Willie needs to put four quarters together. It seems to me like when the hill gets a little bit too deep for Drew Willie to come back from, that's when he starts to rush his throws. Uh, he did a lot of short hopping, I thought. Again, it's it's one of those situations, and I don't know if you can coach this out of a guy, but I saw a lot of five-yard passes when they needed 12, and that's asking a lot for your receiver. So I don't know. I still sense some hesitance there. And early in that game against the BC Lions, we saw Drew Willie really shove the ball down the field, and they were effective when they did so. Late in the game, you know, those fi that final drive, a couple short passes here and there when they needed them. The Bombers are historically known on defense for giving up big plays. If Drew Willie's going to find some success in this game, his offensive line's going to need to 
hold off the Bombers' defensive line, which is which performed, I would say, pretty well in their first game of the season against the Eskimos. Let Mike Riley get away a couple times, but Mike Riley did what Mike Riley does, so, right? So I, again, and I'm sure we'll talk about this in the previous episode. But if I didn't mention it, um, just talk about you know Mike Riley being Mike Riley, and you know some plays are on the back of Mike Riley. So if Mike Riley is Mike Riley, sometimes I think you just tip your hat and move on to the next. Defensively, you've got a couple former Bombers that I'm sure are going to be looking for a chance to knock Chris Drevler around a little bit. That's Jamal Westerman on the defensive line and Hinoch Mwamba at middle linebacker there. So I'm interested to see those matchups. Perhaps even uh, recently signed Bay Tatiji. It's yeah, if we see him in the lineup, I'm not sure how much he'll get in there, but the thing for me though about the Bombers is I love what they did, what they got from our offensive line against Edmonton. I wanna see that continue. Um Strubler has a real good awareness for what's going on, like when it's time to pull the ball down and run. For Strubler, I just really wanna see him build off what what I build off what I saw from him. Yeah, and big question also for the Bombers to watch for in this one is what does Adarius Bowman do in his second game? Zero catches in the first one, was targeted a couple times, dropped a couple passes there. Let's see if he can make a mark in his second game. I also think it's not on Adarius Bowman at all. More so just rather how deep the Bombers receiving corps are. Now, Andrew Harris did not practice uh, Monday, granted most likely a maintenance day. Sure, his injury to his ankle that he sustained in that first half healed by the time, you know, the third game of the night started on Friday. But uh, I imagine Andrew Harris will be in the lineup and he'll have a very solid game here again, Mike. Looking at guys to watch for fantasy-wise in this one, let's start with the Montreal Alouettes. I think, you know, you saw Drew Willie force it down the field a little bit there. I would say always Terrell Sutton's my number one go-to guy. But I thought the Bombers' defense did a great job of containing C.J. Gable uh, when they played the Edmonton Eskimos this past week. So I'm looking maybe at one of the wide receivers that Drew Willie's going to key in on, and that's Ernest Jackson. Jackson had a big touchdown against the Bombers last year. Uh, he's a guy that can make big plays if he's given the chance to do so. And it's interesting, interesting too, from Matt's standpoint. Like, I believe that the Bombers' defense that's currently constructed is going to make a turnover living of Drew Willie, if they, that sounds like, by all accounts, they're going to force him to get the ball down the field, look for those bomber DBs to force a couple pits. Loeffler, Randall, Gator, all of them were, you know, pretty much as advertised for most of that game. Bomber's standpoint, fantasy-wise, looking at the options Chris Strebler has for him, I mean, Andrew Harris is always the juicy option to take especially because you get points per reception. He's going to be a guy that gets the ball thrown to him, so he'll, I'll always recommend him. You always try to figure out with these new quarterbacks in new places what who their go-to guy is going to be. I thought, you know, Darvin Adams might be the go-to guy with Adarius Bowman's taking some pressure off of him. Thought maybe Strevler would get something going with Adarius Bowman, but it was really Weston Dressler, right, was the main guy that... Strevler connected with. So I, it, I, it's so interesting how certain quarterbacks have a camaraderie with certain receivers. And I'm going to be interested to see if that continues. Yeah, so I think Weston Dressler is a guy to watch for for me there as well. Uh, also, interesting enough, Canadian wide receiver Drew Wolitarski 
I believe, had a touchdown in that yeah. first game, right? Yeah, he had that one before they ran into the tunnel for the second delay. Now, they used to play together back in college, I believe. Yeah, in Minnesota. Oddly enough, like, what does this say about Chris Jeller, right? He finished his college degree in three years, transferred over. You know, it, just that says a lot about a person, and oddly enough, wound up being roommates with Walatarski. We debated whether it was a good idea to start Chris Strebler in fantasy last week. Low salary, nobody really knew much about him going in. Looking at his stat line in the game, Mike, I think it was a success. You know, three touchdown passes. Begs the question, if you were playing fantasy, would you start Chris Strebler in week two? I would. Um, for me, like I don't play CFL fantasy. I know you do. Um, yeah, we really need to get you into that. But, but We've tried. <laughs> <laughs> For me, I start Strudler largely in part because you look at those two interceptions. One of them anyway, I don't think was Strudler's fault. The second one, you know, make may, may, may a judgment for yourself. But, you know, the three touchdown passes was all on way. And, of course, uh, yardage goes a long way. Bombers, Alouettes, Friday night. Who takes this game, Mike? Bombers by 10, 24-14. I'll take the Bombers to win this one as well. I did think in their first game of the year, the Alouettes looked much improved for the most part than they did last season. They were competitive for most of the game there. They need to get things going offensively more than just the first quarter. Uh, I liked what I saw from the Bombers' defensive line in that game against Edmonton, and Montreal's offensive line had a bit of a rough night. I, I can tell you this offhand. Winnipeg defense will be better in this game. I, I think so, too. And I think a lot of their struggles in Game 1 had to do with who they were facing. So I will take the And bomb. how much of it is on the stop and start, stop and start, stop and start? Now that has to count for something. We'll yeah. never know. Right. I'm taking the Bombers to win this one as well. Let's let's face it. The Bombers stop at two-point conversion. Dead in its traps. Or get one setting down stop on that. It was really my biggest problem with the Bombers was that one drive which allowed Edmonton to tie it. Right. That was my biggest problem defensively. You know, you take... They had 400 yards or so, 99 or 101 of them were on one play. So, again, largely respectable defensive performance minus a couple plays. However, in a close game, those are magnified. However, you're playing Edmonton. So so we're both taking the Bombers over the Alouettes here in this one. We'll hear more, uh, get the Montreal side uh, perspective of this one from Cliffy D in the second half of the show here. So uh, we'll see his perspective and who he's taking in this matchup between the Bombers and the Alouettes as well. Our third matchup of the week brings the Hamilton Tiger Cats into Edmonton to face the Edmonton Eskimos. Uh, Storylines in this one, Mike, how, what are you looking for? Well, I mean, I think we saw the real Edmonton last week for the last part of the game anyway. Um, to me, the biggest thing is this is a very big matchup for Hamilton. As far as, you know, they were, my understanding, they're staying in Alberta. Uh, because they played Saturday in Calgary and they played Friday night in Edmonton, so they save money by staying in Alberta, I guess. Um, but to me, the biggest thing is still uh, to change, to keep. They need to find a way to win this game. I, I think you know, to be quite frank, Hamilton needs to start winning against these West Division opponents. Well, yeah, because they played the West Division their first five games. Mm -hmm. So if they don't start winning early, it could be a very bad start again to the season for them. They lost last week, but they played the Calgary Stampeders really well most of that game, and it came down to a couple plays in the end that they let it go. 
I'm interested to see how the Ticats perform against the Eskimos this time. If you look back to last year's games, despite that 0-8 start, they had two games against the Eskimos, who went undefeated in their first seven, that the Ticats almost won both of those games, right? So, granted, how much do you take from last year and put into this year? Not much, because there's, there's a substantial amount of change over in Edmonton, and I, quite frankly, don't think we saw the best from Edmonton against the Bombers on Thursday night. So that to me is a very interesting wild card. The other part to this, quite frankly, for me is Edmonton's a much better team in Calgary, you know, well-rounded. So I didn't still to be a challenge. I mean, you know, Jeremiah has only had a chance to tie that game late, and he threw the ill-advised interception. They need more offense, you know, 14 points against the Eskimos. Is it going to win you a football game? I don't think. Yeah, and how much do the injuries in Edmonton factor into this? Because 11 guys on the six-game injured list after week one, Mike. It's deja vu in Edmonton. Adam Konar, one of the biggest ones on that list. Uh, Does this open things up maybe for Hamilton? It does, but again, you know, Edmonton played so well with all those injuries last year, and they seem to replace those guys on a dime, so... But again, right, it's all Mike Riley. And I, I think Mike Riley single-handedly with that offense can put up 40. And then they just need a stop or two. And quite frankly, I think if, I think this will be an offensive output that's in the high 30s for Edmonton. And, and, I, and I look at Ken Jeremiah Mazzoli keep up. I don't know if he can. Yeah, and don't forget it's C.J. Gable facing his former team, right? He's going to be hungry in this matchup against the Ticats. Uh, you know, I know this, the way I'm talking about blowout, but again, it's the fact of the matter. You want to see what your team is like first two games of the year? Here it is. I don't know. I doubt we'll see him in the lineup this early, but how much of an impact will the reacquisition of Delvin Bro mean for the Hamilton Tiger Cats at defensive back? Went to the NFL uh, if it wasn't for injury situations, crazy situation with a misdiagnosed injury, um, he ended up having to have surgery and was out for the entire 2017 season or something like that. How much does that boost Hamilton going forward? Again, you know, I, I picked Hamilton to represent the East in the Great Cup, and I believe when you put Hamilton against the East Division, that's where the record kind of balances out the rest of it. Uh, to me, is how many games can they take it at the West to solidify their position? Right. Um, looking at the fantasy side of things for this football game, uh, if you want to talk about the Eskimos side, I mean, take your pick on the uh, offensive side of the ball for the Edmonton Eskimos, right? Uh, Darrell Walker was the big one. I had Darrell Walker in my fantasy lineup, Mike, I, right before kickoff and switched it out. Luckily, Duke Williams still got a couple catches for me. These are two guys that are going to have big games yet again. But uh, I got to go C.J. Gable. Because Gable wasn't as effective as I think he could be in that game against the Bombers. Against his old team, I think Gable's going to be hungry. Yeah, and then for Hamilton, I mean, if you want to look here, just real quick, uh, Tolliver. Well, Tolliver's going to be out for a couple weeks still, well, right? Well, again, it's, you know, the that loss for that team right away big hole but that means other guys step up and you want to talk about a guy who stepped up against calgary 
Uh, first of all, I think Jeremiah Mazzoli had a great game uh, besides, you know, that pick late in the game there. But really, Jalen Saunders looked great. Yeah, and I said that right, you know, when I was live tweeting the first preseason game for Hamilton. I mean, to me, I think I said something along the lines of Jalen Saunders to me is a, a, a 1,000-yard receiver written all over him. Uh, if he can get a quarterback to get him a ball. Well, he was last year, right? Right, and again, it's can you follow that up? And I think he can. And to me, Jeremiah Mazzoli answered a lot of questions, take away that pitch in the fourth quarter. Um, it's a learning experience for the kid, and let's be frank, the kid is under a lot of pressure. Everybody knows who's behind them. Everybody should be clamoring for him at the first mistake. And fortunately, the first mistake didn't really happen until the last minute of the football yeah. game when... When it was too little, too late. So, again, Jeremiah was only just progressed as a starter. I would put him along in the same lines as uh, Chris Strebler. It's up a little more advanced. You know, he's been in the CFL as Mazzoli, but he's never been the guy. So, picks in this one. I'm taking Edmonton. Uh, I think it's going to be a close game. I liked what I saw from Hamilton against Calgary, uh, but I'm I, I, I like Edmonton. I really do. So I'm taking the Eskimos here. Yeah, I'm going to go 34-27 for uh, Edmonton. Okay. Uh, and then final matchup of the week is the Grey Cup rematch, Mike, in Toronto. The Calgary Stampeders hosting Toronto, or sorry, visiting Toronto. I mean, storylines, it's really, it's the Grey Cup rematch in it all, right? Calgary dominated the majority of that Grey Cup last year, except for three plays where the Argos stole the show. And they stole the Grey Cup as a product of it. Calgary, you know that's going to be in their heads. For all the guys that are back this year, they're, they're still reliving that moment. How much do you think that plays into things for them? Um, for me, I, I think, you know, Calgary, I think for me here, the biggest thing is Calgary comes in with a relatively new team. Uh, one which is just a relatively new, younger, faster, better team. So... You know, a lot of those guys, to be honest with you, that are part of those or were a part of the Great Cup games are no longer there. And so, you know, I probably I, I, will always have that mark on them of the team that lost two Great Cups in an unbelievable fashion. But I think this is a brand new team. Uh, and they also always have the mark on them of being a team that really succeeds in the regular season, right? Yeah, so. I expect uh, Bowley by Mitchell to be... To be honest, game here. The question for me: Can Ricky Ray find that gear earlier in the game than when he did in Regina? Well, it's interesting because Ricky Ray, believe by Mitchell, hands down two of the highest tiered quarterbacks in the CFL. Both, I would say, had average games in Game One. You know, Ricky Ray did not shine necessarily against the Riders. Believe by Mitchell completed less than fifty percent of his passes. Well, against the Thai Cats. Is it possible for a shoulder to be overheal because he threw over to a lot of receivers? <laughs> um, but again, you know, I think you'd rather have a receiver overthrow guys to basically know, know we're in danger of being intercepted. Um, but I expect Bo to be a little bit better. You know, he's got the cobwebs out of him. Uh, I don't think he played much in the preseason either. And what you can read in a preseason performance either. So, but for me here, this is bounce back territory for Toronto. They need some kind of offense. Their defense basically tries to hold them in as long as possible. At the end of the day, I think Toronto was undone by the fact 
thought they were on the field so much. Uh, from the Calgary standpoint, I'm interested to see how much more of a role Eric Rogers plays in the offense. One catch for 13 yards this past week, um, as he still gets back into getting more involved in the offense. And really, the question for me with Calgary is this running back situation, because... I'm glad you touched on it, because I don't hate either of those running backs in fantasy, because I think it could be a split right down the middle between those two. Well, that's the thing, right? Because last week on our preview show, I said that uh, Terry Williams was a must-pick, because everyone was expecting Terry Williams to start. Cheap running back, had great yardage, you know, in the times he played last year. Comes out that Don Jackson's the air-quote starter, but they're going to be splitting times. I still kept Terry Williams in my lineup because if he's doing the kicker turns, I figured he'd get a couple runs there. He was still a cheap option, but Don Jackson had a really good game there, 87 yards. Yeah, on, he had the uh, game-breaking touchdown, two in the fourth quarter. Right. Um, so I'm interested to see this little bit of a dynamic between these two running backs. You know, and, and I think, you know, the, the speech, the creativity in Calgary, I mean, we're used to having that primary back. used to be massive, used to be John Cornish. Now they've kind of... Football in general, in my estimation, seems to be moving more to this dual bath threat, and I think it helps both guys. I mean, they're both young kids. You know, neither guy is, you know, responsible for, say, for carrying the load, and, you know, in-game, if you want to rotate them in the first half, and then then you just go with the hot foot or the hot sprinter, I guess, and the guy that does things so well later on in the game so again I think it helps both guys out uh Toronto side of things I want to see James Wilder get more involved in the rushing game here uh he caught four passes for 68 yards but had just five carries for 16 I think that's going to be a big key here for the Argos uh if they're going to win this game is to get James Wilder more involved take some pressure off of Ricky Ray fantasy guys to watch for in this game from the Toronto side of things it's James Wilder is the guy I'm taking right Nobody really had stood out strong at the wide receiver position. Edwards, Green, they both had five catches somewhere in the 50 to 60 yard range. You're always going to expect that. Here's the that. interesting thing. I think James Wilder is going to have a lot more room to run because I really don't think Calgary is going to be overly aggressive on the blitz. You know what I mean? That They're, being said, though, Calgary does have one of the best run defenses in the league. So Again, it's, it's a very tough dynamic and. I did very hard to read, you know, week one. What can we read into these teams offensively, defensively, and special teams? Uh, Calgary side of things, it's, you know, the running back position's one to watch. I think Don Jackson's earned himself another start there uh, at a low salary. He's probably a guy I would actually take a chance on. Yeah, he's a guy I would take a chance on here in fantasy if he's going to get more touches. Uh, At the wide receiver position, Kamar Jordan had a great game. Had the game ceiling touchdown. Uh, had the game ceiling touchdown. Uh, Mark so. and Michelle had a big catch. Um, I mean, really take your pick of the Calgary wide receivers. You want to look for a cheap option? Reggie Bagleton. He had a big catch oh, early in the man, game there. Uh, one-handed catch. Um, goodness. If you remember, when we, I think it was when we talked about the CFL media poll results, and one of the questions was, who is your expected breakout player of 2018? I said Reggie Bagleton, and I think this is a guy that, you know, granted there's so many weapons in that Calgary offense, it's going to be hard for him to get the touches. Again, it's one week right out of 21. Yeah. Uh, But who's your take in the Grey Cup rematch here, Mike? Calgary or Toronto? I want to see Ricky Ray respond. I think we'll see a close game, but at the end of the day, I expect Bo to exact revenge 
It'd be close, 31-24 for Calgary. I'm taking Calgary to win as well in this one. I, you know, I, I want to give the East a lifeline here, Mike, but... And I think this is going to be a close matchup, but I, I like Cal, the way Calgary's built. You have to think Bo Levi Mitchell's going to be more efficient than he was last week, right? Right. In the passing game. Um, Calgary's going to open things more up more in the rushing game a little bit there as well. That being said, don't count Ricky Ray out. Don't count James Wilder out. Don't count SJ Green out. And I still like that Toronto defense. So it's going to be a close matchup, but I will take the Calgary Stampeders. It, it comes down to really... Who do you trust to make one extra play at the key time? Well, we've gone through each of the matchups for week two here in the CFL. Now let's jump a little more in-depth into the Bombers versus the Montreal Alouettes. Uh, here's my interview with Cliffy D of the Alouettes Flight Deck podcast and the Alternative blog talking all things Bombers versus Alouettes and getting his take on the other games as well. So without further ado, here's Cliffy D. And now I'm pleased to welcome our guest for our week two in the CFL preview show here to the podcast. He's the one of the hosts of the Alouette's Flight Deck podcast and also the author of the Alternative blog, talking all things Alouette's. It's Cliffy D. How are you? Doing good. Doing good. How's everybody out there? Very good. Uh, rough start to the season here in Winnipeg with, you know, Matt Nichols' injury right before the season started and then that long game against the Eskimos thursday night but otherwise can't complain can't complain oh man but uh i gotta tell you i do make an effort to try and watch as many canadian football league games as possible and i i swear i did my best to stay up for that game like the first lightning delay hit i'm like okay well you know this is not unusual we've been through this before in fact uh Fun fact, uh, two years ago for the uh, home opener in Winnipeg, I was there to watch the Alouettes, and we ran into that same sort of lightning delay. So I can definitely empathize with fans there about how it's not fun to sit and wait uh, for Mother Nature to decide, okay, well, yeah, I guess we can do some football. Yeah, but then yeah. to go through it twice, like that's, uh, I, I couldn't believe it. I, well, I, well, I'm sorry. I, yeah, I, I, and this tends to happen all the time here in Winnipeg. You look at 2016 when the Ticats were in town, I mean, this was the first time I've ever left a football game early, and it was just, you know, second rain delay at that point. It's looking like it's going to be another two hours. It was a long night here in Winnipeg, but uh, very happy to have CFL football back. Oh, that's what it's all about, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so last time we had you on the podcast, looking back at it, I believe it was all the way back in December, uh, right uh, kind of the first couple of weeks of the off season, talking, you know, previewing the Alouettes off season. We didn't really get a chance to talk about the things they've done because they hadn't decided on a coach yet at that point. There was no nothing known about the quarterback position either. Now at the start of the season, your overall take on the Alouettes offseason and did you like what they did? Well, uh, the one thing they had to do for sure as far as naming a head coach and essentially a coaching staff is you got to have someone with you got to have people with CFL experience. Now, Mike Sherman, the head coach, unfortunately has a lot of football experience, but none of it CFL related. So that's always a concern, if nothing else. Now, the smart thing that they did, though, is make sure that his assistants and other coordinators do have CFL experience, which I'm very happy about. So to see Kahari Jones as the offensive coordinator, was very excited to see that. Uh, initially, when they hired Khalil Carter as defensive coordinator, I was also excited to see that as well, because the guy's as a coach has been in the last two great cup games. So this is a guy that knows what it takes to win. So 
you can also imagine my disappointment and frustration when about a you know a month before or a couple weeks before training camp kicks off Khalil Carr decides no I don't want to be a coach I want to be a general manager so I'm going to work on that instead so that's uh that's a little a little tough to swallow but okay fine so now we've got Rich Stubler who does have a wealth of experience and has multiple Grey Cup championships to his name so in that sense it was like okay well not quite who I was hoping for because this is still very much a young man's game and Rich Stubler is not a young man um, but I guess that's the trade-off right if you want experience you don't necessarily get youth and vice versa so overall I mean, I was definitely encouraged. I think that there is something here to build on. Uh, there's definitely some good pieces that were acquired in the offseason as well via free agency and the draft. And I, I, I still say that the biggest concern, though, has to be quarterback. There's no question about that. Uh, I mean, Drew Willie is Drew Willie. What you see is what you get. It's not necessarily a negative thing, but in all reality, the Alouettes have to be looking towards the future. And they've got some good young quarterbacks in their lineup that – I think are just waiting for that chance to step up to the plate and take ownership of this team. So I'm hoping that'll be sooner rather than later. But again, all in due time, we'll just see how this works out. And uh, all all Alouette's nation can do at this point is just grit their teeth and hope for the best, really. As long as this team is building towards something, then you just have to be patient. That's all there is to it. Yeah, and I've been vocal about, you know, supporting a lot of what Kavis Reed did this offseason as a general manager. I love what he did with that defensive backfield. You know, that defense, even in that game against BC this past week, the defense held their own pretty well, I thought. They kept them in the game a lot of times when the offense stalled there. Uh, I thought, uh, you know, I enjoyed what they did with the offensive line, some of the pieces they brought in there. They obviously bring in Chris Williams at wide receiver. Um Everything looked like, you know, it might be a bit of a better year for here for the Alouettes, uh, especially go back a couple months ago in the offseason with the unknown of, oh, could Josh Freeman actually step up here in the CFL? Obviously, now we know that didn't happen. Uh, and it's back to the same old, same old at quarterback. Mm-hmm. No, that's it. I mean, when the news of Josh Freeman came about, I, I was cautiously optimistic. I thought, okay, well, listen, if he's serious about wanting to make a comeback and really prove himself, though this is the opportunity to do it. I wasn't going to anoint him as the starter or the savior or anything like that. All he was being afforded was an opportunity, and I'm of the opinion that, okay, until you give me a reason not to, I don't want to say support, but to doubt you, I guess. Right. Yeah. If you give me a reason not to put my faith in you, I'm willing to see what, what you got to offer. And unfortunately, that first week of training camp was just, yikes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, if I didn't know any better, I'd swear that he didn't do any off-season training whatsoever. Like, not even, like, just grab a couple of his football buddies and, hey, let's just throw the ball around. Nothing even like that. It just seemed like it, he just looked very, very rusty. And I can't help but wonder, like, the biggest narrative that there is in the CFL when it comes to former NFL players coming up here is that, oh, they can't hack it in the CFL. They think it's just going to be a cakewalk. Right, and yeah. Just again, I, I can't speak for Josh Freeman myself, but just based on what I'd seen with my own eyes at training camp that first week, I can't help but get the impression that maybe he thought, well, this is just going to be a, you know, a simple thing, and I'm just going to breeze through with little to no effort and dominate in this league. And at the end of the day, the again, film don't lie, as they say. So I mean, like we got to see what we did of Josh Freeman, and it, it wasn't pretty. 
Well, the crazy thing in it all is the fact that he uh, he came to Winnipeg for CFL week in the in March and then uh, all of a sudden ends up fifth on the depth chart during training camp and retires, uh, you know, after week one of training camp. But uh, weird story all in itself. Before we get into talking about the matchup this week between the Alouettes and the Bombers, quickly your take on what you saw from that uh, 22-10 loss to the BC Lions. Well, that first quarter was absolutely fantastic for the Alouettes. Uh, Second quarter, too, was uh, pretty decent. The fact that it was definitely a defensive battle for that first half. Uh, right. I was definitely very encouraged with a lot of what I saw, uh, especially on defense. I, I Again, I cannot say enough good things about Hinoch Mwamba. The guy is just a beast the way he plays. Uh, Chris Aki, I was very pleasantly surprised to see. I've had high expectations from him for the past couple of years, and now it's starting to come through. Like Now you're starting to see exactly what the Alouettes saw in him when they drafted him many years ago. Uh, so very, very pleased to see those guys contributing. And uh, yeah, as far as what offense goes, what I don't understand is Tyrell Sutton is such a beast in the backfield for the Alouettes. Absolutely. He was running roughshod over the BC Lions that first half. And I was very excited because for years I've been saying it, you cannot take the run away in Montreal. You've got Tyrell Sutton. You've got these running backs that are just... They're bruisers, like they're 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 like built like tanks, and they can keep going and going. And that's the thing with Sutton is he just does not stop. He doesn't play at half speed. I don't think he even knows how to play at half speed, quite <laughs> frankly. So, for whatever reason, Dallas decided, mm, now nah, we're good. I think we, we you know we don't need a Sutton anymore after this. And then he just basically disappeared in that second half. And I can't for the life of me figure out why especially when, when Willie started struggling and just not quite making those completions. I mean, you can sort of say it was a, a defensive, a great defensive effort by the BC Lions, but uh, truthfully, it was just Willie just kind of plateaued, quite frankly. And uh, I, I wish I had better answers for as to what the heck happened and why the wheels sort of fell off in the fourth quarter, but it is what it is, right? And yeah. I, I can only hope that uh, come, uh, fr- come Friday against Winnipeg, they sort of learn these lessons and are a little bit better prepared for it. Well, I was going to say that is uh, talking about, you know, Drew Willie's performance, because I think it's safe to say he's the guy with the most eyes on him in Montreal because everyone wants to see, you know, what's happening there at the quarterback position. Can Drew Willie return to the form he was at early in his career there? And I thought in that first half he did a great job of, you know, forcing the ball down the field, which is something... I don't think he's done very effectively ever since he, he got hit with a couple injuries there in his time in Winnipeg. Uh, and then in the second half, he started to go away from that, and you saw that during that final drive there as well. You know, the couple short passes here and there, which really ate up the clock, and they ended up running out of time there. What do you make of the switch from forcing it downfield early to playing more conservative in the second half? To tell you the truth, I was baffled by it because, it's like you, I – Watched Drew Willie throughout all of preseason, and he was very conservative, very guarded with his plays. Like, he didn't open it up at all. So imagine my surprise when I can see that he can chuck the ball downfield <laughs> and find open receivers. Like, what a concept. Why weren't you doing this earlier? But, hey, maybe he was just saving it for for when the games really count. And, again, I can't be mad at that. But Certainly. you're absolutely right to to do that in the first half and look not spectacular, but decent. And again, I the, the expectations have to be realistic here in Montreal. And as long as Drew Willie looks decent, there's a fighting chance. And 
he went from being decent to again just all of a sudden being very conservative and very scared almost like he was doubting himself like oh am i really this good and then all of a sudden oh maybe not or maybe i gotta you know i gotta i gotta hide what i'm doing again i again i, I i'm purely speculating here but i just don't understand how do you go from playing like i said decent football in that first half to being uh, you know guarded if you will it's almost like a governor was put on him and i just can't for the life of me figure out why the the coaching staff decided no we're just gonna you know you, you were playing not to lose and instead of playing to win and again the, the, you, you want to set the tone right away it's early it's still in the year but you want to set a tone right away you want to get people excited and just for a moment, try to break that idea that, well, you're playing in BC, Yellowwoods always lose in BC. Like, well, it doesn't always have to be that way, but right. they just seem to, I don't know what it is. It doesn't matter whether it's a day game, a night game, was being played on a Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. Whatever reason, whatever uh, things you could throw at it, for whatever reason, something just doesn't connect when it comes to the Alouettes going to BC Place and playing the Lions. And I've spent countless countless years trying to figure it out i just simply can't do it getting into the matchup this week with the winnipeg blue bombers uh and talking about week two in general but starting off with the bombers and the alouettes here if you look back at last season for montreal granted unfortunately they did lose a lot of games last year I, the storylines in this game are intriguing to me because I think if you pinpoint two losses that were the most heartbreaking for the Montreal last year, it was the two really close ones they had with the Bombers. They seemed to play the Bombers a lot closer than any other team last year. Mm-hmm. Is there a reason for that in your eyes? Well, I I can't really speak to it because it's comparing last year to this year, but you're absolutely yeah. right. I do recall both of those games were just absolutely amazing football games despite the outcome for Alouette's fans certainly yeah I, I just remember and I remember that that the, the loss in Winnipeg I remember saying that like, that loss is going what however the Alouette's finished because I think at that point they were two and three if I'm not mistaken or three and four or I yeah two and three. three yeah two two and three or two and four something like that they were it was still early enough in the season that that they the season was going to go one of two ways based on that loss. Either that was going to build them up and they were going to grow from it, or that was where the wheels came off. And unfortunately, as time ended up proving, that's where the wheels came off. And they just, unfortunately, they had one more win after that, and that was it. So I I look at those games as defining moments, if you will, for the 2017 season for the Montreal Alouettes because, yeah, they played – Absolutely outstanding football. It was tight and, dare I say it, even exciting football. Right. And for for whatever reason, those losses really took a lot out of the Alouettes, and it really did affect how the season went. So what will happen for this year, only time will tell, because it's, it's a completely different team, completely different mindset altogether on both sides, really. So I'm very intrigued to see how it's going to go. And uh, I said it... it I'm always excited to see these two teams play because I do find that for whatever reason, they seem to bring out the best in each other. So I'm definitely looking forward to a really exciting, interesting football game on Friday. Yeah. And looking at this year's matchup between the two teams, you know, I always find that a good way to preview a matchup is to look at the three sides of the ball, the offensive side, the defensive side, and the special team side of the ball. So starting on offense here, which team do you give to the, the edge to offensively? 
wow, that's that's tough because I if Matt Nichols was playing, it would be Winnipeg one thousand percent because he is just that good. He is on that much of a level right now, and truth be told, with the hell with Winnipeg's health, as long as they stay healthy, I had predicted uh, along with my co-host uh, Tim Capper of the Alouettes Flight Deck that Winnipeg was going to be end up being the Grey Cup champions this year. Like we truly think that they have the right pieces in place and provided everybody stays healthy, we couldn't think of a single reason why why this couldn't be Winnipeg's year, quite frankly. Uh, the injury to Nichols, though, does sort of uh, throw a, a bit of a monkey wrench in the works, so that'll be a, a little bit interesting. Uh, I'm sincerely hoping that Montreal will take advantage of it, even though Chris Strebler seemed to have played a, a really, relatively decent game, all things considered, even though he did unfortunately lose. Uh, he looked solid as far as I was concerned from what I did see of him, so I imagine he's... It, Coming into a potentially hostile territory like what Montreal can be at times, I think that'll be a good challenge for the young man and uh, be curious to see if he can step up and maybe even get the W for the the Bombers. But uh, this is where uh, this is one where I'd have a hard time giving it a, a distinct advantage to one particular team. Uh, it'd be easy to say Winnipeg just because they are that much better than Montreal, but uh, I, I, I would almost say this is a pick at this point when it comes to that particular side of the ball. I, I agree wholeheartedly with you. Uh, you know, the thing is, the Bombers' defense is known to give up a lot of yards. They give it up, gave it up again this year. Drew Willie can start the game by stretching it down the field like he did against uh, the Lions last game and, you know, keep that going. Uh, it could be a great day for the Alouettes' offense. Also, if they can get Terrell Sutton going in the running game there. Granted, the Bombers' defense performed, I'd say it had a solid performance in stopping C.J. Gable last game. But, I mean, Terrell Sutton, if they can really get him the ball, is going to have a good day for the Alouette's offense. No, you, you cannot go wrong putting the ball in Suddy's hands. The guy is just a next-level player as far as that. I mean, with no disrespect to Andrew Harris, because as far as running backs go in the Canadian Football League, you've got Andrew Harris. And quite frankly, I think everybody else is just kind of that next tier down. And Sutton would be in that next tier as well. But, uh, I mean, you're talking like... Andrew Harris is just head and shoulders above the rest of the running backs in the Canadian Football League. But I'll tell you right, Tyrell Sutton is definitely not a bad choice as far as like second place, if you want to put it that way. I, I, I definitely think this is a good. This could be a good ground game for both teams, quite frankly. Looking at the defensive side of the ball, uh, two defenses that were overhauled quite a bit in the off season. You know, the Alouettes at at the defensive back position, they bring in Jamal Westerman, they bring in Hinoch Mwamba, I'm probably missing a couple more pieces here. Um, obviously, all the defensive backs they brought in. Um, the Bombers overhauled their defensive backfield as well, brought in Adam Big Hill. Who do you give the edge to defensively? I'd probably give a slight edge to Montreal just because of the fact that Winnipeg is starting a rookie quarterback and that secondary is just going to be eyeing him big time. And... Again, I don't know how how Chris Trevler is with the long ball yet. I know it's like I said, it's just been one game so far, but uh, if he wants to air it out, I know that uh, guys like Tommy Campbell and Mitchell White and Dominic Ellis are just going to be all too happy to try and match up with the receivers and maybe even try to snag a snag an INT or two. Yeah, and you're not going to beat uh, you're not going to beat Tommy Campbell deep very often. Uh, only in the Grey Cup. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, you talk about Jamal Westerman. I mean, this guy, I, I imagine he'll be a little bit motivated to play as well. Not that there was, oh, I don't think there was any hard feelings as far as uh, him leaving Winnipeg, but uh, 
he's got to be amped up to to be playing his former team, and he's going to want to show that hey, you definitely should have did whatever it took to keep me instead of letting me leave from Montreal. So I, I think uh, I think Westy's going to have a lot of fun out there on the on Friday night. So I'm curious to see how that's going to go. And uh, yeah, like I said, uh, you can't you can't deny at a big hill. There's simply no question what this guy brings to the table each and every week. And if I'm Drew Willie, I'm hoping and praying that the offensive line gets their act together and starts protecting a little bit better. I know it's still a still a what's that word I'm looking for? Like a gelling period for these guys. Right. Like I know they're still trying to get used to each other and all that still, but uh, they're going to have to come through and protect their quarterback as best they can. And especially against a guy like Big Hill who will will make life miserable for Drew Willie or whoever may be under center for the Alouettes. Yeah, I, I think this is uh, one I would possibly give to Montreal the edge in defensively as well, just because the Bombers' defense, I think, is going to be better this year. And despite giving up 400-and-something yards through the air in Game 1 against Mike Riley, who is Mike Riley and will do what Mike Riley does, um, mm. I, I think they're going to be improved, but I think it's something that's going to take a bit of time for them. I liked what I saw from Montreal's defense in Game 1, and uh, I think they could cause some havoc here for Chris Strebler. But uh, certainly a much-improved defensive line performance in Week 1 for the Bombers. Uh, offensive line struggled a little against BC for the Alouettes. Drew Willie got hit quite a bit from what I saw. Uh, is that a concerned matchup for you? Oh, there's there's no question. Like I said, this you got to protect your quarterback in this league. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And as I've stated, Drew Willie is Drew Willie. I'm not I'm not knocking the guy, but what you see with him is what you get. So you have to realize the limitations that he brings. And you got to be able to account for that. So if I'm the offensive line, I've got to do whatever it takes to protect my quarterback. I got to give him the opportunity to make plays happen, whether it's just handing the ball off to Tyrell Sutton, or taking those, you know, those gunslinger shots downfield and hoping to find Ernest Jackson or Chris Williams or B.J. Cunningham downfield. Uh, you you got to you, you got to let your quarterback do his thing no matter what. So I, I sincerely hope. If they can find a way to stifle Winnipeg's D-line and give Willie the opportunity to make plays, it could be a could be an interesting game all around. Uh, same thing, like Montreal also has to put a lot of pressure on Winnipeg, and again, you got to try and get into that rookie's head and let him know that hey, you're coming into our house. You're not going to just walk all over us. We want to we want to welcome you into the CFL, and I, I think that's going to make it a very very interesting matchup. Special teams side here on one side, you've got Justin Medlock kicking. You've got Boris Bidet on the other side, or Boris Beattie. Uh, what's the correct way to pronounce it? Uh, Bidet. Bidet, okay. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah, all right. Um, and then in the return game, you've got Kevin Fogg, and you've got Steph Logan returning kicks again this year, I believe, correct? That's correct. Uh, so who do you give the matchup uh, edge to in this one? I would honestly give it if, as far as returning kicks go, I would actually give it to Winnipeg solely because, yeah, you got uh, Fog, but you also have Ray, Ryan Langford as well, and right. the, the two of them are just phenomenal. Uh, they can definitely make, make plays happen. Whereas Montreal, uh, I mean, with much respect to Stefan Logan, I am always concerned when a guy who's closer to his 40s than his 30s is returning kicks and doesn't quite have that same burst of speed anymore. Uh, it's a 
troubling concern for me. That's the one thing I noticed uh, this this past weekend was Logan, like he was lightning fast in training camp, but when it came to an actual competition against guys that are out to really stop him and possibly put a hurting on him, he just didn't quite have that spark, that 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 fire that I, I've come to expect from a Stefan Logan. And I don't know if it's just father time finally catching up to him or if it's just the way the special teams are working out right now in Montreal, because it's always been an Achilles heel for Montreal is special teams play. For whatever reason, they cannot seem to get any lanes open for a guy like Stefan Logan or anyone else who's been returning kicks from Montreal. So that's always a concern. And it's one of those things that even with a new special teams coach who does have experience in the Canadian game, I'm hoping and praying that this past Saturday was just opening night jitters or everybody always says that the first game of the season is essentially another preseason game. It just happens to count in the standings. And I'm really hoping and praying that's all it was for Montreal and their special teams. And if they can get their act together and just find a way to create some lanes for a guy like Stefan Logan, maybe he can turn on the Jets and still wow everybody like he used to. Granted, uh, Steph Logan does... He always seems to have solid games against the Bombers. He was an integral piece in them getting that lead in that first game uh, against the uh, uh, the Bombers last year. Uh, on the special team side of the ball, I'll give I'll give the edge here to the Bombers as well. I like Justin Medlock over Boris Bidet a little bit there. I like the return guys for the Bombers there as well. Overall, looking at the whole matchup, who's your pick to win this one, and how do you see it going? Well. Uh... I think it really does come down to uh, which quarterback's going to play better. Uh, like I said, the, the nice thing about Chris Trevler is you really don't know too much about him. So how do you game plan for someone like this? I mean, you only have a, a, a little bit of film on the guy, so it's really hard to know just how to how to break him down. So I think that's going to be a huge advantage for Winnipeg, uh, not to mention, again, having Andrew Harris lightening the load for him because if he gets too stressed out and he can't quite connect with the receivers, just hand the ball off to 33, and he'll definitely get you some yards. Uh, I mean, I think also to Montreal, they just got to, if they can play the entire game the way they did that first quarter against BC, there's a good chance they could win this game too. I mean, I don't want to say, say just because Matt Nichols isn't playing in the game that it's automatically an advantage for the Alouettes, but it definitely does help. And it's something that you really do have to take advantage of. If they can just get inside this young man's head, this, this young Strevler's head, and just make life miserable for him, especially with the, 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 the Montreal crowd behind the Alouettes and getting them excited and getting them hyped for the game. I think it does maybe be a competitive matchup no matter what, just like last year's matches were both very tight, competitive games. I can definitely see this one going that way too. Uh, I'm not big on predictions, so I can't really say one, one way or the other, but if Montreal is going to win this game, it's because they will have found a way to get inside of Chris Trevler's head start making him doubt himself, start reminding him that, oh yeah, I'm still a rookie and I don't know quite know what I'm doing. Meanwhile, the Alouettes will have a fair bit of leadership, a fair bit of experience, and they've got playmakers too that can make things happen. So if they can remember all of that, I think Montreal does have a chance, but uh, I will never, ever count out Winnipeg. Like I said, they they pretty much were our pick to win the entire right win the Grey Cup this year. So, I mean, even without Matt Nichols, they still are a force to be reckoned with. Yeah, I think this is going to be an interesting matchup. On paper, I think a lot of people would take the Bombers, uh, even with Chris Strevler out, just based on Montreal's track record over the last couple of years, you know. Uh, but I think this is going to be another heck of a football game here, and I really could see this one going either way as well. 
Uh, before we let you go, I want to get your take quickly on the other games going on this week. So quick takes on some of these here. The Riders uh, in Ottawa to open the season. Ottawa's first game of the season. Mm-hmm. It'll be interesting because, again, Ottawa had the bye week last week, so they too were probably chomping at the bit to get going and get the season underway. Uh, I think Ottawa will definitely be very interesting to see what, how it's going to go this year. Considering they've got a brand new defensive coordinator in Noel Thorpe, who is the former defensive coordinator for the Alouettes. I've seen enough of this guy over the years that I know what he can bring to a defense, and I can definitely see him revamping this defense in Ottawa to make it fierce, make it hard-hitting, and that can only spell trouble for opposing teams. Uh, but again, I, I can't help but be impressed with what Zach Caleros did in his uh, writer's debut. I... Again, like a lot of people had, a, I'm sure a lot of people had a lot of doubts as to whether he was going to find his form again after being so bad in uh, Winnipeg or uh, Hamilton, sorry, that that last season. So there was a lot of doubts, and I think he silenced a lot of them for the time being. So I'd be very curious to see just how this match is going to play out. Uh, I think it'll definitely be interesting. I don't think Ottawa is going to quite be the pushover, even though they're in the Eastern Division and pretty much everybody in the East is considered a pushover right now. Right. Uh, I think this could be a very exciting game. And, of course, you cannot count out that uh, crowd in Ottawa. That TD place, uh, it's going to be rocking, and I think uh, that'll definitely help as well. But uh, if I were to make a pick, I'd probably say Saskatchewan will win a very tight, exciting game. Yeah, I I agree with that pick on that one there. Uh, Moving on, the Hamilton Tiger Cats in Edmonton facing the Eskimos. Well, again, you you saw what what, uh, Edmonton did last week, even with the delays and... Unfortunately, it seems like they're back on that whole uh, everybody getting injured track because I noticed that a couple of names were added to the six-game list, including Adam Konar, who I think is a, a phenomenal young linebacker. Yeah, uh, so it's 11 guys, I think, on the six-game injured list after week one. Yeah, I mean, that's... Yikes. I mean, we saw this last year, and somehow, by hook or by crook, they still managed to come within one game of appearing in the Grey Cup again. So... Uh, I, I'll I'll never doubt what Edmonton can do. Uh, Hamilton, uh, they also played really well against Calgary last week. So, just I said one. Unfortunately, the one bad pass seems to be defining everything now for Jeremiah Masoli. So I know he's going to want to redeem himself, especially when you know you've got Johnny Manziel sort of waiting in the wings, uh, just waiting for that opportunity to come in and wow everybody like they think that he's going to. Uh, I think that too will be an uh, interesting matchup. Uh, I mean. Never going to get go against Mike Riley. He's just he's just on that much of a level, and I don't see that stopping anytime soon. I think you could honestly put him out there with a bunch of high school players, and he'll still manage to get thirty <laughs> points on the board. He's just yeah, he'll just, he's just that, for all the touchdowns himself. Yeah, the guy. I don't know how how he does it, but man, he's he's just on another level altogether. So I I, I think Edmonton will be more than fine, but. Uh, you never know with uh, like, uh, Hamilton hung hung out with uh, Calgary in Calgary too, which is no small feat. So can't count out the uh, can't count out the the, the Tiger Cats, but uh, I would definitely have to give the advantage here to Edmonton. And then final matchup of the week is the Grey Cup rematch in Toronto. The Stampeders uh, visiting the Toronto Argonauts. Who? How do you see this one going? Mm. Well, Calgary, I gotta say, has. They looked ordinary against the the Tiger Cats this past Saturday. Uh, I mean, they turned it on eventually, but for the most part, like, Bo Levi just seemed okay for the most part until he realized, oh, yeah, I'm Bo Levi Mitchell, and then decided, okay, now I'm going to dominate like I normally do. 
And uh, I, I'm curious to see just what Mark Tressman and Jim Pop have as far as uh, getting Ricky Ray and his receivers on the same page. Because uh, the one name I didn't hear a whole lot of was S.J. Green, other than where is S.J. Green? He was fairly quiet throughout that game against uh, against the Riders. So I'd like to see more Ricky Ray, more S.J. Green connecting. Because when those two get together, I, I tell you, it's it's like Anthony, it was like Anthony Calvillo and S.J. Green back in the day. Except, and uh, interesting enough, Anthony Calvillo is in Toronto with <laughs> yeah. S.J. Green and Ricky Ray as right. as a quarterbacks coach. So if if Ricky Ray and S.J. Green can get that connection again, and they've got to rely heavily on James Wilder because the guy is a phenomenal player as well. And if you can get him to just open things up, we remember what it was like in the, the Grey Cup the year before, even though, like again, not the exact same teams, but uh, this is going to be... A fun match, I think, too. Uh, I still think, though, Calgary remembers who they are, and it, it's got to be eating at them the fact that Toronto was just able to squeak by them and get that great cup. I think they'll be coming out. I think the the, the Stampeders will be coming out guns blazing, pardon the pun, and I think they'll. Uh, I think they'll definitely explode on the Argos. I, if, unless, like I said, Ricky Ray can find his targets and play like Ricky Ray can. But even then, I still think uh, Calgary is just is desperate to prove that they are not the uh, that they're they're not dead yet. So I'm I'm really looking forward to that matchup as well. Uh, that's uh, so that's week two here in the CFL. I think we have a lot of interesting games coming up this week. Uh, before we let you go, obviously, I want to let you uh, you know take your time to plug your work and where can people find you on social media and where can they check out their work if they're not already doing so well if you're not already doing so uh, by all means feel free to th- follow me on twitter at cliffy d c-l-i-f-f-y-d uh, if you want to read my thoughts on the alouettes so you can head on over to www.alsternative.com and if you want to check out the alouettes flight deck podcast along with myself and tim capper just head on over to www.alouettesflightdeck.ca or you can go onto iTunes and Google Play Music and just search for Alouette's Flight Deck and you'll find each and every episode there. Wonderful. And we certainly recommend doing so every week. Uh, thank you again for taking the time here to join me on the podcast. It's always a pleasure talking Alouette's with you. All right. Let's uh, let's hope for a good, uh, exciting game on Friday. And as I always say, may the best team win. Absolutely. That's a great way to put it. We'll leave it at that. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. And that was Cliffy D of the Alouettes Flight Deck Podcast and the Alternative Blog joining me here on our week two preview in the CFL talking Bombers versus Alouettes. Uh, always great to talk to him. So thank you again, Cliffy D, for joining us here on the podcast. Just to recap our picks here, Mike. So last week we both went three and one. We both picked correctly in all three uh, or in any game that was not the Toronto Saskatchewan game. Our, our picks are basically the same. Yeah. So we picked, uh, we both picked Toronto to beat Saskatchewan. That did not happen, but we all had Edmonton, Calgary, and BC last week. This week, I think we're exactly the same again. We're going all west this week. Uh, Bombers over the Alouettes, the Eskimos over the Ticats, the Riders over the Ottawa Red Blacks, and the Calgary Stampeders over the Toronto Argonauts. Uh, Looking at CFL Fantasy last week, pretty good week overall for me in the Fantasy, Mike. Some 
coming just short of uh, 100 points. I think I finished at something like 96. Uh, Mike Riley was a huge contributor to that, most definitely. And uh, Shaq Johnson chipped in uh, nicely for a value play there. Yeah, you were pretty excited there when in that one cap. Oh, absolutely. I knew he would. I knew he would. Um, any final thoughts here coming um, into week two? I just wanted to ask you the question. Uh, since you're asking me a lot of the questions, uh, and there's nothing wrong with that, of course, uh, which matchup intrigues you the most? The, you know, if, if there's one game that, oh, Ryan needs to take some time to sit down and watch this game, I mean, I'll always say the Bomber game because I'm a Bomber fan. I live okay, in Winnipeg. Take the Bombers out of it. Okay. Um, I still might say that game, actually, just because how amazing the games were between those two teams last year. No, but probably the Grey Cup rematch, right? The Toronto-Calgary. Um, really, all of these games, like Saskatchewan-Ottawa played close games uh, last year. Hamilton-Edmonton played close the games. The did a wonderful job, you know, scheduling early with matchups with you know, juicy storyline. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, no, for me, I think I have to go to Saskatchewan, Ottawa. Ottawa wants that strapped revenge. How do they look coming out of the bye? Tend to Saskatchewan keep up what they're doing. All right, we'll leave it at that. Week two. And on our new website in the next couple of days will be my power rankings. Perfect, perfect. Uh, that's week two coming up in the CFL. Uh, we'll be back again next week with our week two recap and our week three preview. Um, Tuesday night, the week two recap coming out. Wednesday morning, the week three preview coming out. So look forward to that. Um, find all of our content on our new website at mikefmwinnipeg.com slash the Canadian football countdown. That's all hyphenated. So the dash Canadian yeah. dash football dash countdown. Yes, find all of our content on there. All old episodes of the podcast can be found on there now. Written content on the way, correct, Mr. Garrell? Yes. Um, here's the interesting thing. I was listening back to our, you know, some of the old shows that were on the website. Personal recommendation is to listen to the interview that we did with Terrace Edwards. Absolutely. That was one of the highlights, definitely, of our time on this podcast. Uh, follow us on social media to keep up to date with everything going on at CFC on Mike FM on Twitter and Facebook.com slash CFC on Mike FM. Canadian Football Countdown, you can find it on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play Music. That does it for this episode. We'll be back again next week. Thank you for listening. Enjoy week two in the CFL. We'll talk to you again next time. Bye. Bye.